Hi, my name is Pastor Richard Sanchez. How are you guys doing? Um, I have the privilege to end chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians today, and uh, I think God wants to do something here this morning through it. And so, uh, as Stephen beautifully read, you heard the scripture we're going through. We know that there are issues in this church of Corinth. Some radical ones, there are fractions, it's splintering amongst amongst the church. We follow Paul, follow Apollos, Cephas, right? Dividing over church leadership. The Corinthians were embracing values uh, of the Roman society, uh, which divided over ethnicity, right? Jews versus Gentiles, social rank-wise versus Foolish, powerful versus weak, noble birth versus low and despised. The Roman culture valued polished rhetoric, right? Eloquent speech, and regarded the message of the cross of Jesus as foolish. Paul hears about this, and he is greatly concerned. He's concerned for this church. The fracturing taking place is a concern because of carnality. The carnal Christian who lives for his or herself, their own flesh. And if they live for themselves, there's a tendency to become oil and water. There's a separation. There's divide. But the spiritually mature Christian humbles themselves by following the example of Jesus Christ in their lives and is less concerned about labels, position, groupings, less denominational, non-territorial. Not prone, not prone to say our denomination, our church is the best, right? We look or dress the best. We, our head pastor is the best teacher of the word. Of course, he's Mexican, right? No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) We have the best sound and lighting and production. And the worship team is top notch. We are deeper in the things of God. We are more advanced. We know what's best right? We're not prone to say any of those things. The mature Christian cares and is about the body of Christ. Let's recap in verses uh, uh, 6 through 9, where it says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. But this one, uh, uh, verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. See, we aren't competitors. Uh, Armando recently told me, uh, actually, we were probably about a month or two ago, that I don't know if you guys knew this, but there's another Calvary 
Chapel in town. There's another Calvary Chapel in town. It's in Fallbrook. Maybe called something. I'm not really quite sure. But Armando had a conversation with the head pastor of that church. And as you know, Calvary's, they, there's a kind of like this unsaid set agreement that you're supposed to be like with, you know, 20 miles from each other or something like that or 50. It is something like that. But um, I said, so I, he had this conversation with the pastor of the other Calvary in town. And the pastor said, are, are you, are, I just want to make sure we're cool. He's like, yeah, man, I'm cool. Whatever, whatever you guys, and whatever you guys need, let us know. We'll be praying for you, and we'll come to your aid, whatever you guys need. I'm like, what? You said that to him? And he's like, he's like, I'm like, and, and, yeah, I'm like what, did he, what did he say? I think he was blown away. So we're not competitors. The goal is Unity. The goal here is unity. The gospel message must be heard so that many would come to the saving knowledge of grace and grace of Jesus Christ. So we're not competitors, but rather co-laborers, co-workers, working together for a common goal. We are doing this together. And what we should be doing is praying helping, cheerleading, and celebrating those who preach the gospel message, the truth of Jesus Christ, not another gospel, right? In order for Christ to be known and lives be transformed. You know what was really cool about Autumn Festival is this is our second year doing Autumn Festival, uh, or at least for uh, uh, the the trunk or treat part of our autumn festival, and I'm telling you, like Lena said, it's like everybody upped their game. I mean, you guys saw the pictures. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Last year was great too, but it's like there was another elevation there. And somebody came to me, and I was working in the welcome booth, and I was saying dumb, you know. Um, you know, uh, dad jokes the whole night and having fun with it. And uh, anyway, Armando told me to stop after a while. But uh, but um, this guy comes up to me, never seen him before, um, kind of tatted up. And he had his son with him. And he reached out and shook my hand and introduced himself. And he said, thank you for doing this. I'm like, oh, I'm not the only one that did it. I mean, our whole church came together and did all this stuff, blah, 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 and he wouldn't let go of my hand. And I was like, okay, no, it's good. And he's like, no, really, thank you. And he said, everybody here has been so welcoming, so inviting, and just great to my kids and to us, and, and thank you for doing this for the community. And I'm like, yeah, man, like, yeah, we're we're here for you, and please come and join us on a Sunday morning, and, you know, uh, we would love to have you, and he's like, yeah, I think I will, and I was like, great, and then a couple other people kind of did the same thing, but he never let go of my hand. I was like, okay, you're like, okay, good, yeah, yeah, let go, but Paul is driving it home that we are not only one field with different crops, but one building, we are doing this together. There's a song for, for, from, for King and Country called Together. I love a few lyrics from the song. It says, we will make it through hand in hand. We will rise together bolder, braver, stronger. 
And by the empowering of the Spirit of God, we do become those things together. Together, God can and will use us as long as we have the right position, and that's in Christ. So I broke up the text in three sections today, what I believe Paul wants to communicate to the Corinthian church, and what God wants to reveal to us through his word. Verse 16, understanding who you are corporately. Verse 17, how to destroy a church. And in verses 18 through 23, how to eliminate division. So we read verse 16 real quick, understanding who you are corporately. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Paul is saying, not only are you one field, but one building, you corporately are the temple of God. Every Christian is a temple of God, yes, individually. As I re- we talked about, uh, about the Holy Spirit, yes, because you needed a Savior. And then you heard the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the work of the Spirit led you, invited you into the presence of God to confess, to repent of your sin. And then you received this awesome forgiveness and then asked Jesus to be your Lord, right? And Savior. And you received a promise of his Holy Spirit that you, he will be with you always and the life with him eternally. Epic transformation from old life into new life. So yes, you are a temple and God dwells in you, but We are the church building and are continually the temple of God. The church in totality is the temple of God, and we are the stone structure of that building. We are living stone structure, actually. 1 Peter. Two five, you'll see on the screen, you yourselves like like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are being fit together as one temple. Ephesians two nineteen through 22 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Real quick question. How many have been to New York in this room? All right. Well, quite a bit of you. Wow, that's cool. Well, I've traveled to New York, too, actually various times in my life. Um, mostly, uh, you know, it, 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 as a senior in high school, we went on our, um, you know, uh, what was it called? We called it a history trip. But we went to uh, New York and Washington, D.C. and all that stuff. But um, I actually the mostly been to New York as a supporting role musician, and played and performed in different churches and venues. 
it was neat. It was a very neat blessing by that experience. But the cool thing about the Big Apple is it's big skyscrapers, right? Very tall buildings, very big. Um, I've had a chance to go up the Empire State Building. Um, I am scared of heights, by the way. And it is, it's just, it's not a fun thing for me to do. But it was cool to kind of like look and then back up, you know, like, where's my safety net here? Um, But anyway, that's besides the point. But as you look at these buildings, it really takes a lot from conception to completion. It takes a lot of money, time, hard work, dedication to construct and then when it's done you look up at these big skyscrapers and you say wow that's cool especially at night when all the lights are on it's just a cool place the city that never sleeps right but let me ask you a question does the buildings keep growing no they don't When a building is finished, it's finished. It's done. Complete. What we, what does keep growing is the temple of the Lord. That's the building that keeps growing. That's what makes us really say, wow, the awe of it. We are a building that's a growing, holy temple, and we get to be a part of it as his living stones, being fit together by the chief cornerstone, Jesus, our firm foundation. He doesn't desire us to be apart from each other, but to lean into him together, lean into each other. We need each other. I have five P's for you about the cornerstone, who is Jesus. Jesus is the principal stone. He is the main focal point of the building, right? The thing on which it depends for structural integrity. We see this in Job 38, 6, where God spoke to Job in a whirlwind, right? To what, where it's foundations fastened or who laid its cornerstone psalm 33 says for he spoke and it was done he commanded and it stood fast second one is a prophesied stone in isaiah and zechariah it says he will be a sanctuary he will be a foundation the third one precious stone 1 Peter 2, 6, a stone chosen and precious. In the last two, Jesus is a powerful and praiseworthy stone. Psalm 118 says, I thank you that you have answered me and you have become my salvation. Wow, there it is, the salvation. There's the power. And then the thank you, the gratitude. So he is a powerful and praiseworthy stone. Because he breathed on us. He breathed on us life. And we serve a living God. See, the church grows because Jesus is that foundation. And it is his house. And we are not dead stones. We are living stones in his temple. But 
as living stones, though, it presents challenges. You see, dead stones are put into place, and they don't move, kind of like my cat at home. My cat, my cat bugs me. You know, he's just, he doesn't do anything. He just sits there and stares out the window and sleeps, eats, and poos. I don't get it. It annoys me. What, what are you doing? Get up and do something, Jack-Jack. That's his name. Would you just do something? You are useless. Okay. Anyway, moving on. I'm just <laughs> throwing that out there. But you, here's, this is what I mean. Dead stones are put into place and don't move. They're solid, right? Does nothing other than being a part of the structure don't do anything. But as us, as living stones, we squirm. We rub elbows with each other. We're close with each other. But we also can retreat and move around because we have emotions and we have feelings. And we tend to rub each other the wrong way. It's inevitable that we can make others uncomfortable. In this sanctuary, this temple, see, we are in the process of being made holy together. And in that process, it can be rough when our brothers and sisters that God has placed in your path that rub you the wrong way. You see, I'm very sensitive. I'm a very sensitive person. I think the Lord has given me a thick skin over the years. I joke around with my wife saying I'm a fragile flower. I am. I'm very sensitive. Things hurt me as anybody else. And I have to admit, I have had more people rub me the wrong way in the church than I've had anywhere else. What's weird about that is, as you heard about my travels to New York and all that stuff, I've been in contact with the most kindest people that are in the world, most loving people in the world. And then you come to church, it's like, whoa, what happened there? We're supposed to be different, right? Well, I, think I'm, I think I expect more out of my Christian brothers and sisters. But when someone offends me, it hurts. I think we're easily offended these days. That's whatever, what the world is doing. But I do get offended, and I do get hurt, and I do have feelings. So what is my, what the, here's the cause, and what's the reaction? My reaction is I tend to recluse. I tend to recluse. I'm in the flesh. I'm irritated, and I'm bothered. I'm not going to talk to that person today, or I'm going to go walk 20 feet that way, and I'm going to go in that direction and not towards them. There's uh, this 90s show called Family Matters. I don't know if you guys remember that show. Uh, I don't know if you remember TGIF. Thank goodness it's Friday. I think that's what it meant. I'm not really quite sure. But there's two characters in it, and it, there's Carl Winslow and Urkel, right? You have those two. But there's one episode where Carl, um, he, 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 he has some blood pressure 
issues. And this doctor gives him this mantra. Whenever you feel like your blood pressure is rising, say this mantra. Three, two, one. One, two, three. What the heck is bothering me? And, and then he kept saying it when Urkel was around him. Three, two, one. One, two. And he would get louder every time. And then finally he said, you are bugging me. See, you have to understand that the Lord has brought that person, the Urkels, in your life because he knows that there are rough edges that need to be smoothed out. He knows this. He brought that dork in your life, right? And I am that dork in someone else's life. Ask my wife right? Amen. (laughs) Our response, though, really should be rejoicing, being thankful for that person. And I don't think we really do this enough generally. We don't thank God for people. We are living stones being fit together, and in the rubbing and smoothing out, the encouraging part is that the rough edges get chiseled away. The Lord desires to do something in your life with the people he brings to you. Two B words for you to think about. When that happens in your life, think of it as a blessing and not a bother. Get away from me, kids. You're bothering me, right? All of our uh, the younger families here know what I'm talking about. I am busy. I'm focused right now. It's about me right now, not about you. Get away from me. You're bothering me. Instead of me going, I love you and sitting down and needing to hear from them and needing to love them at that moment. So think of it as a blessing and not bothering. And in that moment, we are reminded, though, as a church, of our rallying cry. We're reminded of our rallying cry. What is it? It is a belief which encourages people to unite and act as a church What is our rallying cry to be a servant and to lay one's life down as Christ did for us? That's our rallying cry. That's what we're about. To die to self. We are called to die to self in order for Christ to be magnified. Now watch God do something amazing in that person irritating you. (laughs) and within your own life as well. I believe real genuine love does happen. Real grace does happen. The church is filled with messy and broken people. I am one of them who all need Jesus and each other, so don't do what I do. Don't recluse. Don't run away. We are growing together. And the Spirit of God is dwelling in you congregationally. If I can ask you a question, have you ever felt distant or far from God? I'd be the first one to go, yes. Well, let me tell you, the house of the Lord can be a place of healing where you're in the presence of God and His people worshiping together. There's a lot happening 
to take our focus off of what truly matters. We come with this, this come with expectancy into this spiritual building. I like to call it a spiritual hospital to hear from God's word, to sing songs of gratitude, and to have sweet fellowship with the people of God. The Spirit of God is living, breathing, and moving. And he says it in a promise here, Matthew 18, 20 says, For where there are two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. God is constructing something. He's inviting to build his kingdom of praise. Together we are being built into a holy building where the reality of a God can be enjoyed. Verse 17, how to destroy a church. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. If you're attempting to dismantle the body, this is what basically he's saying, your spiritual effectiveness will be diminished. If you're attempting to dismantle the body, your spiritual effectiveness will be diminished. Quick illustration, um, I just recently did a, a wedding, and that's why this illustration pops out to me, but there's a story that goes, we had a wedding yesterday. What a mess. The families were seated. The groom and his attendants were in their places. I was waiting at the front, Bible in hand. The bridesmaids and the flower girl had come down the aisle. Ruth began to play the organ and then everyone stood. We could not believe our eyes. The bride came limping down the aisle. Her gown was ripped and covered with mud. One eye was purple and swollen. Her hair was a mess. She had been fighting with her sisters and brothers again. And we all thought to ourselves, doesn't the groom deserve better than this? This, of course, didn't really happen, of course, but it is a parable of what happens when Christ's bride, the church, has fights and quarrels and divisions. A church so divided brings shame upon the Lord a church so divided wounds and destroys the body. Do you know that when a group of thoroughbred horses face attack, they stand in a circle facing each other and with their back legs kick out the enemy? Donkeys, though, do just the opposite. They face the enemy and kick each other. How often does just that, acting like donkeys by attacking fellow believers? He says, don't defile the temple. What are you doing? What are you thinking? The people sitting around you, God loves. If you decide to cruelly treat me, it's one thing. But if you cruelly treat my family, it's on like Donkey Kong, right? 
Okay, some of you know what Donkey Kong is. Seriously, though, you're messing with my family. You're messing with the temple of God. It's not cool. Don't mess with the family. Don't mess with the family. Paul is trying to say, <laughs> a little Godfather moment, sorry. The temple is holy and my spirit dwells there. Be committed in grace and in love and be careful to not destroy others. So what does it mean to be holy? Well, we saw that with Moses, where at the burning bush, he took off his sandals, right? Take the sandals off your feet. Joshua's encounter with God, right? Take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. The place is sacred. The temple, church, the grounds, what's happening here between us and God and interpersonally, how we treat each other. We are not going to act like the world. See, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And what is the world doing to us out there? Radical divisions. Radical divisions, division, deceptions, disillusions, dissolving and breaking bonds of relationships between family and friends, disagreements, disruptions. And I can tell you it's disheartening. The enemy is having a field day with non-believers and believers. We are going to, as a church, as the temple of Christ, we are going to purpose in our hearts and are not going to throw what the world gives us at anyone. We are going to first pray because that brings all the perspective back into place. Me and Sebastian were just praying this morning before anything happened here, and he had said it at the end of our prayer. He said, it always brings me back to where I need to be. In the presence of God. Pray first. Think twice. And then have grace because of the grace extended to you. This is not the heart of God to cause divisiveness. Because at that point, we're acting like the world wants us to. We cannot do this. We can't do this. And as we come into the temple, we must allow the world to decrease and ask for his spirit to increase. It's hard to love something messy. It's hard. We're all messy, like I said, and broken. See, when I walk into my house, I'm just, just bringing it home where I am. And, uh, you know, I understand lived in my, my kids are, you know, uh, you know, they're kind of messy, you know, they, they leave toys and things around and clothes and all that kind of stuff. And there's times where I come home and I just don't greet my kids or I don't say hi to my wife and I start barking orders, pick up this, do that, blah, blah, blah. What, what's going on? I'm frustrated. But see, that's a worldly reaction. That's a worldly reaction. Instead of me saying, how was your day, honey? And give her a kiss, right? Give my, my kids a kiss. This is convicting. James 1.19 says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has, who has a hasty temper exalts folly. See, we're supposed to take those things off, the things that we come in contact with the world, and we are to be a holy con- congregation. Can we get along, right? Can we just come and find rest for our souls together in God, in Christ? Can we just enjoy the worship of our God and the fellowship with each other? And in God's temple, we can enjoy all he has for us. The temple is a place to be whole, W-H-O-L-E, by his grace. How to eliminate divisions, verse 18 through 23. says, let no one deceive himself, and anyone among you thinks that he is wise in his age. Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. So let no one boast in man, for all things are yours, whether Paul, Paulus, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or present, or future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Someone has said, the one who can deceive us the quickest is our own self. We are especially prone, and we are vulnerable to deception about our assessment of our wisdom. See, what Paul says is simple. Quit exalting yourself. We think we are particularly smart when in fact we may be really dumb, right? The Corinthians considered themselves wise in this age, and Paul basically says, if you think you are wise, think again, you fool. Stop talking. Stop taking yourself seriously or thinking highly of yourself. Don't mobilize and get everybody on your side or your team. Don't get caught up in the flesh and boast in man's wisdom because it's, it's folly, it's absurd, and it's faulty. It doesn't last. See, Paul's warning applies to every man, every woman who would dare to incite division in the church, whether by gossip, innuendo, accusations, etc. Paul's strong warning is to be a cause to pause for all of us. And if it becomes intolerable, and you cannot hold your tongue, you need to seek godly counsel. Who best to than our Lord Jesus? But also, but also, maybe a spiritual leader in your life or a pastor, an elder, because Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. 
And if you're still unresolved in your heart, if there's still something there you cannot get past, it may be time to move on to another church. Now, as sad as that would be, it would be better to move on than to destroy the church and in turn be destroyed. Because that's good. You're going to take that with you. We are not perfect people or a perfect church, but we serve a perfect God. So why not seek his wisdom and do things his way, the right way? Because our flesh gets in the way. The church belongs to God, and any divisions people bring into the church is an act against God. A holy temple deserves holy behavior, not destructive, divisive behavior. So the Greek word for fool is the word for, from which we get the English word moron. Or morons. Love it. I suck. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's who I am. I just, I'm just, I don't know, whatever. But in this case, Paul does not mean that we should become stupid in life in order to become wise. This becoming a fool is simply another way of saying that we must renounce worldly wisdom. No, no. What does God think? What does God know? I want that. I desire him. If we will be wise in the wisdom of above. Paul is dovetailing again when he talked to them earlier about it in 1 Corinthians 2, 6-7. Yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. We are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Theologian Charles Hodge put it this way, we must be empty in order to be filled. We must renounce our own righteousness in order to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We must renounce our own strength in order to be made strong. We must renounce our own wisdom in order to be truly wise. Wow. Wisdom of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25, word of the the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us, it's us being saved. It's the power of God. Paul wants this message of the cross to speak for itself. He wants people to be changed by the power of God, not by the rhetoric of man's wisdom. He did not want to use clever words to trick people into thinking they would believe because they enjoyed his speaking style. The cross had to do its own work, simply telling the story, preaching the good news of the cross, released a power radically different than the human power, a power that changes lives and communities, the power of God. And we cannot know this. We cannot know God through merely our human wisdom. No human intelligence wisdom or science can comprehend and explain the mysteries of God. We can only know God through God's self-revelation. And it starts at the cross. 
God reveals himself through the preaching of the word, yes, through the preaching of Christ crucified and resurrected. And I also believe through he uses us as living stones to share this message. And even this, but even this human wisdom rejects then and today. The Jews demanded signs, right? Jesus did many signs and miracles. They did not believe. Then God gave them the biggest sign of all, the crucifixion and the resurrection, and they did not believe. Christ crucified was a scandal, a stumbling block for them. The Messiah was supposed to defeat the pagans, not be killed by them. It was shameful. The Greeks looked for wisdom. Crucified Christ, a Savior on the cross, this is madness. How can God become human and die on the cross? Perhaps if he died some heroic death, but death on a cross? The way of slaves and the worst of criminals? A Messiah, a Savior, the Lord of the world on the cross? This is utter foolishness and a display of weakness. Still today, human wisdom and power have a hard time grasping this and consider it folly and weakness. The message of the cross is too simple. So people design their own ways of salvation, seeking their own answers, trying to find it. I had a family member who did that. Oh, this sounds good. I'm going to go this way. Oh, oh, the Ouija board sounds good. Oh, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to go here. Wow. Just like the Corinthians, we, we are so easily blinded and, and by pride, bent by prejudice, and possessed by our possessions. The wisdoms and powers of the world tempt us with the promises of fame, power, wealth, and a good life. And we're tempted to seek fulfillment, satisfaction, success in human wisdom and power, and not in God's power and wisdom, in creation instead of the creator? Are we a set of questions for you? Are we striving to be somebody's? Are we chasing after the good life? How would you define the good life? How do you feel you can't, what do you feel like you can't live without? What has the ability to make or break your day? What do others have that causes you to envy? If you could acquire just one thing, what would it be? What does your, our use of money tell us what's important to us? Look at your Amazon account. Is there something we are asking human wisdom and power to do only what only God's wisdom and power can do? Are we asking creation to do something that only the creator can do? And only the creator, I can tell you, has the power and wisdom to satisfy this and our longing hearts. Jesus is the bread, right? That will satisfy our hunger. He is the living water that makes us thirst no longer. It is tempting to look to creation, to material things, to human power and wisdom to give us a good life because these things are so obvious. You can see it, taste it, feel it, smell it. But looking to human power and wisdom 
to creation will disappoint and enslave us. They become idols, and we become addicted to them because of the buzz of joy that gives us, it's so short, and then we have to go back and back and back again. And soon, we are convinced that we cannot live without the next hit. The things that we hold tightly onto takes a hold of us, and then and, and they now command our hearts, which only God should ever control. And what holds our hearts will dictate our words and behavior. What the heart is full of, the mouth flows over with. And I think the wisdom of the cross is the power of God, yes, to save us from eternal death into eternal life. It first takes surrender. It takes surrender. It takes that confession, that receiving of forgiveness, to live freely in the grace upon grace of our Lord, to die to self, right? Walk humbly. You're hearing it with our God, and then we'll receive the Spirit. Then the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering, to give thanks and worship the one who gives gave his life for you to have eternal life with him, Jesus. My boast, that's my boast, is Jesus. It's him whom I will always look to. I remember somewhere in the middle of 2020, you know, um, I guess, I don't know if people think this at all. I used to think pastors were just a rock, man. They just, nothing, nothing got to them, and it was just like, wow, you're not human type of thing, you know, <laughs> when I was a little kid. Um, but, uh, and, and just leaders and all that kind of stuff. But I remember just feeling just f- radically fearful at one point. I can't be this rock for my family right now. I'm, I'm in a mess, and I had to take a step back and go, man, I am radically, I had to say it to myself. I am fearful. I am scared. I don't know what's going to happen. And I call Armando, and I said, hey, I just got to say it to somebody. I'm scared. And as a living stone, he says, did you look to Jesus? It's like, oh, what a what a novel idea, right? <laughs> I should look to Jesus because, wow, yeah, you're right. That's all he did. The whole conversation was guiding me right back to Jesus. And all I needed to do was change my posture where I was looking down. Uh, maybe not physically, but I was looking down at everything. Everything was filled with hopelessness. And I had to take my, change my posture, take lead from Christ as he did in the garden and looked unto the Father. And that's what I did. Even if it was just yelling at him or just talking to him, saying something. And then he, it just, what was really weird is he started to do a work in me because I was honest. I was open. See, and then he goes on to say, Paul says, all things are yours. Okay, yeah, we're in a spiritual world, uh, a spiritual war here. You're, I said this as Californians, 
you know, earlier, but as Californians or humans in this world, we are walking to church almost hobbling, just spiritually, physically, right? Uh, we're getting beat up out there. Uh, it's, I think it's in every state for sure that we're just getting beat up, us as Christians. But we have Christ. You are of Christ, and Christ is God's. And God gave us each other. So why are we restricting what we have in each other? It's the same thing. I'm so glad you mentioned Jason today. I've only known him for a few days, really, to be honest with you, when I first came. But look what Stephen did today. Pray for our brother. That's how we need each other. All things are yours. You have these leaders, right? Armando, Richard, Sebastian, Paul, Apollo, Cephas, who God gave you. And you have each other with all different perspectives and quirks. We all have that. But he says, he gives us you know, the, the world, right? But he says life. That means that we have, Christ is our life. John 10, 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then he goes on and says death. Whoa, okay. <laughs> How is death ours? <laughs> Yay, that <laughs> sounds good. Philippians 1, 21 says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What a divine paradox. That the worst thing that could happen to us on this earth is the best thing because of what you receive. Death has lost its sting. Amen? And then he goes on to say things present. Life on this earth. When was the last time you looked up at the sky? I was taking the trash out the other day and I looked up the sky. It was late at night. Lennon was like, what are you doing late at night? And I just took out the trash and I just stayed out there and I looked up and I think it was like a day or so after it rained and there was some clouds, but you could see the stars and the moon peeking its head through and I'm just going, Wow. I have this moment to enjoy. Things present. Life on this earth. Enjoying Christ in our lives is better than without him. Things to come or the future, he says, refers to our glorious future forever with Christ and glorified bodies where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, but only eternal bliss and perfect eternal communion with him to whom we belong, Christ Jesus. So we need to be thankful. You are God's temple. How thankful and excited you should be. What an insane calling this is. What are we doing boasting in people? Why divisions? 
Why follow this leader or that leader? It is so lame compared to I belong to Jesus. I am in him and he is in God the Father connected to him and empowered by the almighty God. His banner over me is love. So let us together unite in Christ. Nofel Staten, Staten, doctor of biblical studies, an author, as quoted, will be on the screen. We have done nothing terrible when we have talked about the church building as being the house of God or the temple of God. That would mean then that the building is more sacred than the people. But it is the people who are the house of God and are the temple of God. For it is not just what goes on inside a building, but what goes on inside a people that is important. So just by that, you all, with this calling, bear the name of Jesus. It is imprinted on you. It is your identity. It is, it is you reflecting Christ. It's you who have it. You have the je ne sais quoi, right? You have it. It's great. 1 Peter 4.14 says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, then you are blessed because the spirit of, of glory and of God rests upon you. First, you bear the name of Jesus, yes, which becomes you a bearer, a bearer, what a name, an image bearer. But before I go into this bearer thing, I want to let you know that all you are valued. All you are valued and valuable because you are his workmanship. Therefore, you are valued and valuable. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He calls you a masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So you're an image bearer. You reflect Christ. And out of that, you, have, you, you develop character because Christ is in you, which means you are a fruit bearer. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Are we trusting the master gardener to trim us? Are we producing fruit? Are we submitting though? And are we letting God trim us? Next, you're a gift bearer. Romans 12, 6 through eight, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. <laughs> if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving generously, give generously. 
If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Use your gifts to serve others and bless others. Use it well with all of your heart. Two more bearers. Burden bearer, one of my favorites, is to care and concern for others. Are we interceding on their behalf? James 5.16 says, pray for each other because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And lastly, we're armor bearers. 1 Samuel 14.7 says, and his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Together, let us unite and follow Christ's example because he is with us heart and soul. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. I just want to, at the end of this message right now, I just